0: How many of you had someone when you were new in your faith who 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 pastored you? And I'm not thinking of formal titles. Pastoring, you know, is a is a ministry many, many people have. And they, they taught you, they cared for you, they they confronted you when you needed it. You had someone in your life who, who kind of raised you in your in your your beginning years. Who had who had such a person? Who did not? Raise your hands yeah they're, they're, they're given our situation I did not, so I raised my hand i i i i i grew by listening to tapes i i i grew by you know uh, osmosis <laughs> you know and, and uh people will will sometimes say to me will you, will you mentor me?" and my answer is no, nobody mentored me i mean it's kind of like you know buck up <laughs> you know? and Lord has dealt with that by the way i'm but uh, uh, it, it, there's um, something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that of, of not. We're going to look at a man who, who models this kind of care, this kind of heart, uh, Barnabas. And I'm going to suggest to you today that, that all of us need a heart like his. This isn't simply specialized gifting. You know, we've we, in the United States, we got, we've got this gifting thing down to, to, a, to a, I don't know if you call it a fine science, but it's a, down to a science. Everybody's taking gift tests, and I mean, you, don't you know what color you are, and you know whether you're a summer or a winter, and don't you know what gifts you have and what gifts you don't have? And, uh, you know, by the way, I'm a winter. Um, <laughs> I don't, what, are you from fun country or, or you know, what are you, for, where I, we've got all of this down and it's, it's not wrong, it's not unhelpful, but, we, but it becomes a barrier. Uh, it becomes a barrier for me to do what I need to do, to respond to the situation, to be available and even to believe that God, the giver of all gifts, dwells in me and I can do whatever he asks me to do. And so it becomes, a, it becomes an obstruction. It becomes a, a category. It becomes an excuse not to go on and care for the people God puts in my life. And I just want to, we're going to look at Barnabas today. What a, what a great man. You know how I feel about him. One wrote one of the best books in the Bible. I have, I have no doubt of it. All right. Father God, would you open the word to us? And would you open our eyes spiritually to see the heart of Barnabas. And would you give us hearts like that? We're not asking to admire him. We're asking that he become our model, that he become an example, that he challenge us, each one of us, me. Lord, we're drawn forward to become more and more like this great leader, this great teacher, this great man of God. Grace is to have such hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start at Acts chapter 11. Let me remind you, we're in the household of Cornelius, you recall this? We saw God establish a principle that says, I want to reach the Gentiles. And we saw the struggle, the cultural struggle that was going on inside the Jewish church. They were having a very hard time believing that these Gentiles were clean, that they were clean. They didn't want them in church next to them. They didn't want them touching them. They didn't want to eat the food they served. They, they didn't want them in that church. There's a real issue. And we've, we've, all, we've, we've seen that all through the book of Acts, these various events. We, we, can, we can look at the, the Ethiopian uh, official. We, we can look at uh, Samaria. We can look at uh, the household of Cornelius, where God is he's saying, I want everybody i want everybody but i'm going to tell you something and it's not just true of them our cultural prejudices our cultural barriers are often in practice much stronger than our faith much stronger than the word of the lord they become rock solid they you know we will will just ignore what we don't like and what you're going to be shocked because we saw in the clearest terms, this powerful vision, you recall. Uh, Peter has this, this, this uh, whole situation in the household of Cornelius where the power of the Holy Spirit, they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, which for Peter is absolute proof that they are saved. Is that because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not dwell in an unclean temple, correct? He will never inhabit an unclean temple. So Peter's watching this whole room full of Romans, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then it says Peter ordered them to be baptized because there was resistance. Now you would think the issue was settled, would you not? Chapter 11, verse 19. And I'm reading my my translation, but just you follow with yours. However, those who had been scattered by the persecution which occurred after the stoning of Stephen left the country and went to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, let me just say where those are. Phoenicia is, anyone know? Lebanon, Lebanon, correct. So they went up the coast to Lebanon. They're, They're going over the border. They're escaping out of Israel to get out of the control of the high priest and all of that. So they go up, up into Phoenicia, which is Lebanon, They went to Cyprus, which is the island off the coast. All of these have uh, Jewish communities. And they went to Antioch, which is the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. How big? The central street that ran through it was four miles from gate to gate. I'm talking big. Has an ancient Jewish community, huge Jewish community in it. So they're fleeing. They're getting out of the reach of of the high priest. And they're fleeing but they were not preaching the gospel to anyone except Jews. Oops. Can you believe that? Can you believe traveling and going and living in those countries and not bothering to tell anyone about Jesus except your Jewish friends? You can because we do the same thing in our own way. Verse 20. Yet there were among them some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Oh, those wild guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus, the island. Who else is from Cyprus? Anyone know? Barnabas is from Cyprus, yeah. And that, so, so it's a, he, he knows these guys. And then from Cyrene, which is northern Africa. Some people from... I actually think I, I may know the names of some of those from Cyrene. In chapter 13 we see the leadership of the Antioch church, and it includes someone named Simeon and Lucius from Cyrene. Aha! Now, Simeon from Cyrene, that is this, just a variant of Simon of Cyrene. Have you heard that name before, Simon of Cyrene? Where have I encountered a Simon of Cyrene? Simon of Cyrene. Huh? The man who carried the cross. And we do know he became a Christian. His sons became leaders. So, remember that? Jesus fell under the cross. The Roman soldiers grabbed a man, apparently an African, and said, carry it. And he put that cross on his back and he carried the thing behind Jesus. And he became a believer. And he, here he, he, he very, it's very possible, I think it is, I think he, here he's now an, an, a leader, one of the prophets and teachers of the church there in Antioch, which, by the way, at this point, where, where we're picking up the story, is, is probably the estimates of, of church historians, about 25,000 people. You have a huge church, huge church. So uh, his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, are mentioned in the book of Romans. They become, their great leaders in the church themselves. So, oh, these wild Cyrenians. They're breaking all the rules, man. They're coming in and they're saying, we're going after the Gentiles. Watch this. They, they, they came to the city of Antioch and preached about the Lord Jesus, not only to Jews, but also to Greeks. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Would you say that? The hand of the Lord is with you. What's that mean? When the hand of the Lord is with you, what happens? He's doing stuff. Yes, he is. He's doing stuff. That's exactly the point. Not only the heart of the Lord's with you, the hand of the Lord is with you, meaning he's doing stuff. What sort of stuff do you figure he's doing? Healing, deliverance. People are getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Stuff's happening. There's action there. God is in, in the situation and moving powerfully. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people believed their message and turned to the Lord. And I mentioned what, some, what the estimates are. And a report about this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they were thrilled. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch to celebrate with them. No to investigate. You're, you're from Cyprus. You know those guys. What, what on earth? Go up and find out what they're doing. You know, anyone know how small the island of Cyprus is? I've actually been there, driven across. It it is it is one little island, and you you can imagine does the Jewish community that lives on Cyprus know each other? Oh oh yeah. So he knows who's there. Like, oh man, is is Judah there? Is Lucius there? You know who's there? He knows them. So go, you go up and 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 tell us what's going on. Verse twenty three. Who upon arriving and seeing that the seeing that the grace of God was at work among them. What did he see? What did Barnabas see? He saw grace. He, how did he respond? He rejoiced and encouraged all of them to resolve in their hearts that they would remain committed to the Lord. Well, he's no help. We've sent him, we've sent him up here to inspect this thing. He, and he... He becomes one of them. He joins the enemy. You know, He gets up there and goes, yeah, go for it. Don't you dare leave Jesus. And then, I love this. Barnabas responded this way, Luke says. This is Luke's comment. Because he was a good man. <laughs> as opposed to a small, mean-spirited, he was a generous man. What it, the word actually uh, often means generous. I mean, and I'll, I'll show you that. But he was a generous man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and as a result, a sizable multitude was added to the Lord. He didn't kill this thing. He got up there and stimulated. He made it worse. Hallelujah! But he left Antioch and went to Tarsus, determined to search for Saul until he found him. Now that's in the language. It's about 130 miles if you walk it. You can just take, you can go down to the seaport. They're on the Orontes, and You just get out of the seaport and take a boat across. I can imagine it's more a, day, a day's journey across there. But you, so however he did, in the middle of all of this going on, Barnabas has been teaching. And he says, okay, this is out of hand. We got to have more teachers. Who do I know? Saul. This is 11 years later. Remember what happened 11 years earlier? They put Saul on a boat and said, get out of here, leave. Saul was in Jerusalem doing his style of ministry, which was pop them in the mouth, prove they're wrong in the scriptures, and then run. (laughs) Yeah, for your life. And he did it from city to city to city to city. And he never really did change much with with the Jews, but with the Gentiles, he does. So he says, Saul's up there and... He went up to Tarsus, it says, determined to search for Saul until he found him. Now Saul isn't going to sit at home. He's all over Cilicia. So who knows where he is? And he found him. And after he found him, he brought him back. And when they got there, the church took them in and gave them room and board. That's, I believe, what the word there it means. And I'm not the only one. They gave them room and board for a whole year while they taught a large crowd of believers. And for the first time, now this thing gets so mistranslated. For the first time, they, and meaning in this case, Saul and Barnabas, for the first time, they called the disciples of Jesus Christ Christians. I've always heard it that the community called them Christians. That it was the unbelieving community that called them Christians. doesn't say that at all. It absolutely says it was Saul and Barnabas who said, you're Christians and coined the term. That changes things for me. This passage describes the missionary challenge in most of the world today. Too many converts, too few pastors and teachers. The good news is people are coming to Christ in record numbers. But the bad news is, There aren't nearly enough trained people to take care of them. It's as though someone went out into a wheat field and cut the ripe wheat, but then left it lying on the ground to spoil. Wheat needs to be bundled together and put into a barn. Cutting it is just the first step in the harvest. It's not enough to lead someone to Christ. They need to be established in their faith, and that takes a long-term investment. They need to be taught the Bible, prayed for, coached on how to live a godly life. To change metaphors, no one asks a newborn baby to go out and find food and feed itself. Babies need a loving family. And in the same way, new believers and old believers need a loving spiritual family so they're not facing the world, their flesh, and the devil alone. It's not fair. It is downright cruel to bring someone to Jesus and then abandon them. But that's what's happening because many don't take responsibility for those they bring to Christ and because there aren't enough pastors and teachers to care for God's flock. When I, uh, when I grew up in the Lord, I didn't have, as I say, I didn't have a pastor. I didn't even have a church. I mean, we went to, some home, we went to home meeting. It was, just, it was just a whole bunch of people in the living room or every room in the house, actually. But we, that was church. And so when I brought somebody to the Lord, I'd never thought to myself, the church needs to take care of these. There wasn't one. If I brought somebody to the Lord, they were my problem. They were mine. I bought them a Bible. If they needed one. I picked them up and took them someplace. If they, and, if, and, if, and if I picked them up drunk, we had a conversation. I mean, they were drunk, not me. <laughs> so, what you been drinking? Let's stop that, okay? You raise them. You make sure they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You make sure they got all they need. You pray for them. You cast their demons out. One of my, one of my I mean, I'm not just exaggerating. I'm thinking of one of my friends. Boy, did he have one. And, 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 I, and I, he comes to the Lord. This was in, in college. He comes to the Lord and, and in our, my dorm room. And one night I'm praying for the guy. And the Holy Spirit rose up inside of me. And I took a... Th- and, and I, my, it was funny. My tongue... The, I was speaking in tongues. And my tongue changed into an entirely different tongue. Which I can still speak to this day. Changed an entirely different tongue. And it was a, war, it was a warring thing. And the, the Holy Spirit within me spoke to the demonic presence in him and it, and it just about dropped him to the floor and he, he, was, he was set free of that vile thing. I hadn't even understood what I was doing. I didn't think, this guy's got a demon. But boy, when it went, you could tell. You take care of your own. You take care of your own. You take care of your own. Doesn't it put, doesn't it put the, the sense of responsibility? Say, I, I don't want that responsibility you you have to you have to not go there. You have to say, "Okay, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to learn what I believe. I'm going to learn to minister in the spirit. I've got there's so many people. People in my own family, people in my own experience, people in my own circles of relationship. They need care. They need to be not just not just even a small little pray this prayer with me. They need you to pastor them, to teach them. The situation in Antioch is happening all over the world, all over the earth today. Huge numbers who have and will come to Christ, but no one to lead or teach them. To meet this need, we all need the heart of Barnabas, who when he saw the grace of God at work, rolled up his sleeves and began to teach them, but who also went out and searched for Saul till he found them. Look, when I say the world is at work, you know, you, look, you and I can look at the United States and we can look at the political climate and we can look at what's going on and just get really sour. We can all be a bunch of Eeyores and, and say, oh, it's all going from bad to worse. Yeah, well, let me describe bad to worse uh, for you, uh, what God is doing around the world. Uh, this is a book called The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. He's a, he, it's written in Oxford University Press. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very respected uh, uh, man who assesses what's going on uh, in the the work of the church around the world. He was at our uh, global summit for Foursquare. We've got 140 nations, uh, and the the leaders will come to convention. And I got invited to that, and and, uh, boy, was that fun. And he was one of the speakers. And I've got his book here. It's called The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. And here is, and this is conservative and very academic. I mean, this is not some guy who's just shooting numbers off. These are all all founded on, and you can look up the numbers yourself. He gives where he finds everything. All that kind of thing is there. Listen to this. Here's the projections in the United States. Remember how, how bad things are. Okay? Right. In, in, the, in the year 2000, there were 225 million Christians in the United States. By 2025, there'll be 200... 70 million. By 2050, there'll be 350 million is the, is the conservative estimate of the number of Christians in this nation. Remember this troubled nation? Around the world, it just goes ballistic. In Brazil, in 2000, there was 164 million. By 2050, there'll be 234 million. The Philippines, 2000, there were 77 million. By 2050, 162 million. Just in the Philippines, Ethiopia, last night, um, we had a presentation from Mohammed Musa about what, ha- what, what he, you know, we have a, a member of our congregation who's an Ethiopian evangelist, and, and he goes there once a year, been doing that now for 16 years with us, and we, you pray for him, and you cover him, well, he showed all that was going on and was telling us great stories last night. Um, but listen to this, Ethiopia, talk about a focal point for what God is doing. In the year 2000, there were 36 million. By the year 2050, there will be 160 million Christians in Ethiopia alone. Do you see what's going on? I mean, that's, that's just a firestorm. There's people coming, and that's exactly... But Muhammad says, he says, we all these people. You know, some of you say, I want to go to the mission field and be an evangelist. They don't need you for an evangelist. They need you to come over and teach. They need you to come over and pastor. They need you to come over and train and pass on. They need you to come over and and and, and help. They don't win souls. They're, they're far better than you are at it. They don't need you. The church is just boiling. but it sh- But no one to teach them. The, uh, let's pick Mexico, 95 million in 2000, 130 million by 2050. Uh, Nigeria had 50 million in, um, 2000 and expected to have conservatively. They said, and he comments on Nigeria, particularly because of the, of the, of the religious kinds of battles that are going on with Islam. And he says, it's possible you could have the government come in and, and put, crush everything with persecution, uh, But he said, if not, uh, then these figures are way conservative. They expect to have 127 million by 2050. Um, He goes on with Uganda. Uganda had 20 million in 2000. They expect to have 106 million in just Uganda. Uganda, remember Idi Amin? Remember these piles of skulls and all of the disgusting things? Do you know that Uganda has actually formed a covenant with God? A formal covenant as a, as a thing. Uganda has, has dropped their AIDS rates dramatically. Mm-hmm. They preach abstinence. Yep. They, they, I, the, Uganda has... A hun- they expect to have 106 million believers in Uganda. China. I, I, I won't go on. China. It says here... Where was this? now? You do one, more, one more and I'm done. The most striking element here is the rise of Christian Africa not only were there far more Africans, but a much larger share of them were Christians as, as it grows. In consequence, the absolute number of Africans believers soared from just 10 million. There were 10 million believers in 1900 to a projected 500 million by 2015. And if estimates are correct, to a billion, a billion in 2050. I can vouch for it. That's why when we're, I just made a promise, I'll go to go to South Africa for the next five years, once a year, to teach. That's what. And we have we have nine southern nations, and the leaders come, and they they want to they want how do you how do you preach the Bible? How do you study the Bible? I I, I sat and talked with a with a, a a pastor from Botswana. He's got a church of 700. He's got a school he started has 50 students in it. I said, what do you use for curriculum? He said, I don't have any. So what do you teach? He says, I, I, I just I use the best I know. I said, I promise you, I'll try to get you, get you something. Here's, this guy, there's just, we had, we had a couple missionaries who, were, who, who didn't follow through very well, but they went to Malawi, started a church, started a little school on their front porch, and then left. We now have 140 churches in Malawi. You see what's going on? When we talk about this issue, this is what's happening in the world today. And and it's not for you and me to just watch. Did you hear me? All hands on deck. You need to reassess what's your part, what's your role, how are you part of the solution? It isn't enough to watch this and cheer it on. You can't sit there and watch all this need and just say, well, God bless you guys, be warmed and fed. And and here on our own country, I'll say at the end, how, 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 what's, what we're headed for, I'll say it now, uh, what, what the United States is headed for, we can all see there's difficulty ahead. You can all see with a social breakdown, correct? Yes. You know what Jesus sees when he sees social breakdown? A harvest field. A harvest field. He said he looked at them and they were like, a, like sheep with, uh, without a shepherd, dispirited and distressed. And he said, the harvest is ripe. All these broken, troubled people, all these people. But I'm going to tell you, when I I started in the ministry years ago, you would have broken people come in here and there. You'd have some. Now, you have occasionally someone healthy and who's, who's basically not in some kind of troubled need. The society's changed radically. What does that require? How do you respond to that? Do you run away from it? Or do you roll up your sleeves and need more pastors and teachers, more people caring for more people? Do you understand? That's the solution. That's where we've got to go. There's got to be smaller spans of care, more marriage mentoring, more Stevens ministry, more... Just name it. There's got to be more of this where people are being cared for at a close... Level where they've got friends and people praying for them, standing with them, so they can get free, go on, and fly. Because that's where we're going. Jesus changes lives. Jesus sets us free. This isn't a game, but, it's, but we got to do it right. Well, I, I, had, I was going to finish this. Put it another way, the number of African Christians in 2050 will be almost twice as large, listen, as the total figure for all the Christians who were alive anywhere on the planet back in 1900. About one-third of the world's Christians by 2050 will be in Africa. And those African Christians will outnumber Europe's by more than two to one. The Christian world will have turned upside down. Hallelujah. Only we got to go after Europe. And they are. Barnabas. Barnabas. Now look back at verse 24 again, just remind yourself of that. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. In this verse, Luke describes Barnabas using three specific statements. First, he said he was a good man, meaning most likely he was generous that he regularly did deeds of kindness. We saw him in Acts 4 being one of the first to give at a sacrificial level to care for those suffering for their faith. Second, he says, he was full of the Holy Spirit, certainly meaning that he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but also that he was still moving strongly in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit and was still being guided by the Spirit. How many people do you know that used to be on fire? How many people do you know that used to move in the gifts of the Spirit, used to pray for people, used to to do stuff, used to? He still was. This is a decade later after Pentecost, at least, 10, 12 years. This is about 43, 44 B.C., uh, A.D. Pentecost, I think, is about 32. And so here we are. He's still on fire. He's still full of the Holy Spirit. This man isn't dying out. He's just burning brighter. My guess is that like the whole his whole generation, he not only taught the word, but also ministered healing and deliverance. And third, Luke says he was full of faith, meaning he was a man who prayed boldly and believed God for great things. We need to remember that Barnabas was a Levite. with every reason to be legalistic and stay distant from Gentiles. If anybody in town has been taught what clean means, what's clean and what's unclean, this man has. He is raised a Levite. He will have his turn in the temple. He is, he's, 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 he's been raised from childhood to know what's clean, what touches, what doesn't. This is his entire upbringing. So when he gets there and sees all these Unclean Gentiles. How does he respond? He he knows clean when he sees it. But as we watch him, he clearly wasn't bound by his traditions. He knew God and had the spiritual eyes to recognize when God was at work in people. And he had the humility to let God lead. If God was okay with this, so was he. What's he seeing? He's seeing the power of God in the rooms. He's seeing people changed. He's seeing, he's seeing people healed. He's seeing, he's seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit. He feels God in the room. Can you tell when God's around? Can you feel it? I don't just mean theologically know that he, he's everywhere. Can you feel the presence of God? Can you see when something's healthy? Can you see a person full of the Lord or not? He, he could. I believe when we're, when, we're, when we're walking well with the Lord, all of us can so he's walking into this room and he's been sent to inspect. He's an investigator. And he looks at, he looks room, he's probably in the local amphitheater. He, he looks at this situation or out on a field. He looks at this and see, and just the power is there and he's going, you're okay with this. You are so okay with this. You're okay with this. I'm okay with this. And he just rolled up his sleeves and went to work. There was a consistency in Barnabas. Wherever we read about him, he's the same person. he, He would watch for what God was doing, whether it was in people such as Saul or Mark, or in places like here in Antioch. He would throw his heart and energy into helping wherever he was needed. If they needed teachers, he could teach. So he taught. He didn't take notes on what was happening and then return to Jerusalem and give a report. He stayed to help. Now let's go back through those and begin to see what he teaches us. As we watch the way Barnabas responded to the need in Antioch, he becomes an excellent model of how each of us can respond to the needs around us. If all of us become like Barnabas, we too would see a sizable multitude added to the Lord. When human need meets the power of god through the people of god something good always happens now is that good preaching or what i mean you can take that home and cross stitch it when say that with me i mean when human need meets the power of god through the people of god something good always happens i really mean that that's not some kind of trite phrase when human need you start with human need when human need meets the power of god through the people of God, something good always happens. I'll tell you an old story and a new one. When Mary and I were uh, uh, in Pasadena at a little Presbyterian church, this Presbyterian church was the closest to a Presbyterian retirement center for pastors and missionaries. And, and, and so that's where the, the members of that retirement place Went and they were great people. I'm telling you, they're just fabulous people. But they were old, and uh, and that's we had maybe 100, 120 people in that little church, and and it was it was almost most of it white hairs. And we did have some we did we did have some um, young families, maybe 10, I don't know. And we had a little children's ministry, and and, and we had I remember they asked me to be the youth minister, and remember two uh, youth, and um, neither saved. <laughs> I got one and lost the other. Um, but that's, that was the condition of things. Well, over the course of time, start teaching the word, um, young people start coming in. Not, not, I, I got some of them from the church, but most of them are just from the community start coming in. They get born again, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember one guy who had held up a 7 Eleven with a pistol, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Man, he did too. It was powerful. But you watch these young people. And then, Mary, then we had, I, I taught the men's class, the men's meeting on Sunday mornings. Mary taught the women's uh, meetings there. And it grew so large, we had to have two. I'm serious. Two women's meetings because it couldn't fit. And so you have these two great women's meetings. You got the men. Well, all of these people are getting on with God. And they want to do something. And I said, Lord, what do you want us to do at some point? What, 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 can, what do we do? And, and, and they said, the Lord showed me, do a children's ministry. I thought, all 14 of them? You know, I mean, you know, we don't have any. And we s- simply started, we set up a Wednesday night children's ministry. And now we didn't have any advertising. I don't know how we even got, I don't know how the word got on. I never, never could figure this. But within a couple of weeks, we have this Wednesday night thing with all these young people and everybody. And within a couple of weeks, I'm standing on the sidewalk the entrance is here and the classrooms and stuff. over And I'm watching cars waiting in line to unload children. Back in those days, they had what was called station wagons. Remember? <laughs> station wagons, kids? Yeah. These were long cars in the back. And, and I would watch station wagons stop and, and the door would fly open and kids would go Bleh! out the sides. And I, re- I, I just remember being stunned. Where are you coming from? Who are you? When human need meets the power of God through the people of God. When the people of God begin to say, I'll help. You, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a vortex. It's like it's like a valence for an atom. It's, it just sucks. It just draws. People, when there's Care, love, loving care, spirit-filled, loving care being given. It just draws people. You don't need hardly need to advertise. They'll tell each other. And it just pulls. Now let me tell you about last Friday, this Friday, just two days ago. I'm, I, I told you that the uh, Royal Family Kids Camp, when they come back, they have chapel. And I, I'm allowed to come to that. And I, I came and stood in the back, and I'm watching this. You know, we got a room full with the, the various parents and the, and the campers and the Counselors and all the staff, and and they're, I'm watching all of these kids across the front, you know, worshiping the Lord. And we had our, a youth a youth team led the worship this year, by the way, and uh, it was I guess they were just out, outrageously good. And 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 I'm watching this, and then as I afterwards they let out, and there's 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 tears. You you just can't watch this, and I and I'm watching uh, the counselors and have given their hearts and now they're letting those kids go back the kids are some of them are crying uh, some of them are graduated and won't be able to come back and they're just heartbroken and we're watching that and i'm watching the tears and i'm watching this and i'm watching this come out that i just stood at the chapel door after i just watched people come out and my thought was what an honor it is to be part of this community of believers the selflessness and the love that was being given. The impact on lives. And not, none of that would happen if people weren't willing to step up and give of themselves. To pastor and teach. To pastor and teach some of the most broken children in King and Pierce County. To pastor and teach them. And let me tell you the one thing. Had there been more counselors, we could have taken more children. No guilt. (laughs) Far be it from me. (laughs) But just just keep it in mind. Had you said i go, we could have had two more children, two more boys, two more girls. Had you said i go. So I'm just showing you. There's a principle here. You say, do I matter? Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Wherever it is, it doesn't have to be in that, but it, boy, do you matter? Do you make a difference? Yes, you do. Here's what we learn from him. When human need means human, I'll just read it once more, it's so fabulous. When human need needs the power of God through the people of God, something good always happens. Here's what he did. Number one in verse 23 there, he discovered, he, he discerned the work, the Holy Spirit at work. He used his discernment. This is God. Secondly, he encouraged what was happening. He didn't try to control it. I heard this quote, and it was attributed to Rick Warren. He said so many good things. He might as well have said this too. You either structure for control or you structure for growth, but you can't do both. There's there's an open-handedness. If you want to let God move, you, you, you you fuel the fire, you do all you can, but you let it run. You don't grip it. If you grip it and squeeze it down, uh, you'll kill the thing. He didn't shrink it down to a manageable size. You say, who in the world would do that? Let me tell you something. I, I just think well, we still deal with this to some degree, but back in the in, in the early years here at this, at this church, uh, we only had this portion of the building. And we grew very quickly to, to over 2,000 people. And I'm telling you, the classroom smelled, and the, we had backed up, Toilets, and we had, you couldn't get through the foyer, and and, and it, you know, the parking was horrific, and and it just the whole the whole situation, and the discussions that would go on, would people would come in exasperation and say, "Ah, oh, it's, it's chaos out there. It, it smells in the in the, in the such and such a classroom. It's just it's terrible. They got all windows open, and 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 I'm thinking." Yeah? Isn't that cool? But it wasn't for everybody. I'm just... Let me put a, one of the One of the forces, it's a, like a law of nature, is whenever you have a small church and it starts to grow rapidly, the old timers will feel neglected. And they get angry. They don't like it. I had somebody come and tell me, you ruined my church! And I thought... I didn't do it. Not my fault. Look at me. What are you thinking? You think I did this? Listen, there there, there is. There's a very there's a there's a there's a sociological issue that goes on. Listen, it, it's, it's very much like the young mom whose husband says, honey, you just aren't giving me the attention I used to get. She's thinking, no, I don't. But I mean, I love you. Still love you. But there is somebody else in the house now. Do you understand this? I I have so often thought when I have some crabby old timer picking at me, and I'm thinking to myself, "How long you been a Christian? Roll your sleeves up and wade in, sucker. Quit picking at me. I'm busy." You understand? You getting this? There's a point where you grow up and you, you're not on. It's not about you anymore. Yeah, we'll feed you. Yeah, we'll do what we can. It's about you starting to join the party. It's starting to you about giving. It's about you helping. It's about you joining the harvest. This wasn't about you just caring for you. Oh boy, I got more stories. Now I'm going to stop right now before I, <laughs> I can feel. I've prayed all this time, Lord, that you, not my flesh. Here we go. He's number three. He stepped in and personally helped. He didn't write a report and go home. He didn't tell them they needed more teachers. He taught. Verse 24. He st- he stayed spiritually healthy a decade after he came to Christ. He is. Still a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Verse 24 again. The number of people grew under his care. We either kill, halt, or release what we are given. I'm telling you, this, I don't think this is a matter of gifting. They like to say this is gifting or the way people are designed. Nonsense. There are some people you put into a group, and not long, and the whole thing's gone. There's some people you put into a group, and it'll just stay about what it is forever. There's some people you put into a group, and it grows. I think it's this heart of Barnabas. I think it's, just a, it's a releasing. It's a rejoicing in letting others lead. It's, a rejo- it's an eyes that see what God is doing in people and begins to believe in people. He, reco- we, he recognized the need for more workers. He said, I'm not enough. Say that. Enough. John Wesley said, I've never met a pastor that I felt had, enough, had all the gifts and all the one church needed. He said, I don't think there's any person alive who is capable of pastoring a church by themselves. He says, there needs to be many pastors. That's how he, that's how he worked. He didn't wish for more workers. He went after them. Would you notice that? He, he, he made it, we got to have more workers around here. He didn't just say we ought to have more workers. He went after some. He mentored Saul for a year. He brought Saul down and, and you know the history with Saul. There's been problems. He puts him in the middle of the thing and works beside him. So, that, so he's watching him. He's observing him. He's probably coaching him some. He produced disciples who looked like Jesus, not him. It was, it, it was, it was Saul and it was Barnabas who looked at these disciples and said, You're Christians. You're not Barnabasians. And, and you laugh, but there was, and, and I hope it's not uh, one of the deacons named Nicholas, but there became a man named Nicholas whose followers were called Nicolaitans. In the book of Revelation, you read about them. So it's very possible that they become my followers. Not these guys. They said, you belong to him. I'm raising you to love him. I want your affections tied to him. I want you drawn to him. I want to, I'm going to make you teach you his teachings. I'm going to teach you about following him. You're Christians. Let's take a second look at Barnabas and see the deep godly attitudes at work in him. He didn't try to make God do something. He aligned himself with what God was doing. Did you follow that? He didn't try to make something happen. He aligned himself with what God was doing. That is, in essence, what Henry Blackaby tries to teach, in in experiencing God. And he says it's a whole way of orienting a Christian life. And it is so true. You can't, you don't make something happen. He didn't come up and say, "Let's let's get this thing going." I got a plan. I got a program. He watched for what God was doing, and he aligned himself with what God was doing. Where in your world is God working? Where do you see him doing it? Not something you drive in, not something you've had to push, not some book you read, not some scheme you have, not some ambition that's in your heart. Where do you see him working? And you align yourself. And let me point this out. He recognized the hand of God, even though God was working among the wrong group of people oops, you're not supposed to be over there with them. He watched and saw who God was working with, and he aligned himself with that. He didn't just watch and go back to Jerusalem. He saw the need and helped. We can't respond to all the needs, but neither can we use gifting and calling as an excuse not to help. I mentioned we've all taken spiritual gift tests. If we haven't, we certainly should give you one and, 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 and let you have one so you can know just exactly what you are. And, and then what you do is when you see these needs over here, you say, well, I, that's not my gift. I won't have you say that. I don't want you to practice. That's not my gift. And, and so I don't have to respond. I just can pray for you. Because that's not my gift. May I, may I say there's another verse in the Bible? And it's the giver of all gifts, basically. Where does he dwell? Yeah, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things this Paul. How many things? Oh. Through Christ who strengthens me. It may not be my primary area of, of, of where I function the most effectively. But I can help. And there's times when I roll up my sleeves and I'm not very good at it. But I'm going to help you. And, and that help is crucial. And I'm going to just join the this, this gifting thing. Must not be an excuse. Must not be an excuse not to help. He didn't shrink the church down to a size he could manage. He looked for more teachers so the church could keep growing. He knew teachers were vital to the success of what God was doing in Antioch. And you, and you may be thinking right now, well, I'm not a teacher. Ha ha. He was willing to go, do, go to great effort to find and train more teachers. This same Barnabas later wrote in his letter to the Hebrews. (laughs) I'm sure of it. Read this with me. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. What is that about? I mean, aren't some people teachers and some people aren't? And he says to this group of Christians, I mean, everybody is reading the letter. And this was to the Roman Church. He says, by this time, you all ought to be teachers. Yet I'm having to feed you milk. You remember that? He went, he, went, he could only say that if being able to teach is a function of maturity, not gifting. Your mouth, your heart is meant to be reproduced, is meant to teach the word of God. I have learned the truth of this. I believe this. And this is a verse I've stood with for a long time. When I was at the Bible college, I taught the the preaching class. Go figure. (laughs) And I'm teaching one now. I'm living this out, watching it, even now as, as we speak. And I was convinced of this, and I would tell them, I believe that every one of you, and I would say this to this room, every one of you can indeed teach the word of God in such a fashion that people will love to listen to you and learn. I believe that absolutely. I, I'll tell them, I tell them this. Don't try to be like anybody else. Don't try to change your style. Don't mimic anybody. You just become icky. Just become you. Your sweet spot. Your power alley. Where you're effective is you talking like you. What matters, however is your outline. You do need to start somewhere and end somewhere. You do need to. And so what I would do with those, those preaching classes, I, you know, they, they'd preach and, and um, I heard an awful lot of bad sermons. You know, a person can lose your salvation just about after a while. You're thinking, this is terrible. And, and then I'd try to correct it afterwards. And it was just an awful experience. And uh, so finally I said, I'm done with this. And I said, all right, now, we're not listening to you preach. So you, you, we want you the week before, you're going to get up there and give us your outline. We'll correct your outline. Then you come back next week and preach. You know what happened then? Once they began to have a good outline? They made us cry. They, we getting saved sitting in the pews. And what was exciting for me is watching these students. Some of them are, most, most of them are young, but we have some old ones in there too. We got all ages at the Bible college. And and so I'm watching these students virtually with their mouths hanging open, watching another student knock it out of the park, touch their heart and pierce it to to their depths, bring them to tears. And they're thinking, how can you do that? How can you do that? I thought only so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, these big famous people, I thought only they could reach my heart. Like that. How can you do this? You know why they can do that? Because the power is not in the person, the power is in the Word. When you speak the truth of the Word of God, it pierces like a knife. It pierces like a knife. And they were, I'm telling you, people, if we are willing to train ourselves, if we're learning to grow and learn and invest ourselves, you can teach the Word of God effectively and powerfully, men and women, young and old. God is so in need of people who speak his word. There aren't nearly enough. He saw the potential in people and didn't hold past failures against them. He expected them to grow. He remembered what God had said to Saul and was confident 11 years in Cilicia had matured him. Notice he doesn't hold Saul's past against him. You blew it last time, uh, but... God I know God's with you and he went up and found him. He mentored Saul long enough to let him be successful. Observation, encouragement, correction, consistent feedback, long enough so the person gets the feel. How do you mentor somebody? How do you how do you how do you do this? How should each of us? I have learned some some hard things. I mentioned to you that when people would say would you mentor me? My answer really was, I'm not joking. No, nobody mentored me. I don't know how. Or people would say, here's what you do when you mentor. You hang with somebody. I'm thinking, hang with somebody? I don't have time to hang with my wife. I mean, we, 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 I, I, don't, we don't, I don't have that kind of time. What are you thinking? It's crazy. And then one guy said to me once, on pastor calling He said, would you mentor me? I said, no. Went through the whole routine. And then he said, would you give me just 30 minutes a year? And he wasn't like in your face, you old turkey. He meant it. And that's what cut me to the heart. He meant it. And I thought, oh, this is sick. There is something so wrong here. And I, and I said, let me pray about it. And I went and I talked to the Lord. And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, do something. <laughs> like what? He said, put your mind to it. You'll come up with something. And, he, and, and so I, I, I did. I came up with a thing that every other month, for, you know, um, I would just do this. And uh, we've been doing it now for probably five years. I had 30 pastors in, in M- M2 uh, on Wednesday. Um, what have I learned? You've got to be intentional and you've got to be consistent. I'll tell you where I've really learned about mentoring it's with the worship leaders. Now, listen to this, this is important. You can teach somebody, you can tell somebody how to do something, but that's not enough. That is not enough. I would tell people, here's what, here's what you need to do for worship leading, here's how I want you to do it, here's, and they they go, uh-huh, and they'd mean it, and then they go out and immediately not do it. Because it's there's more to it than just head. So what I found I had to do is in what I still do, is I sit down and I go over their list with them a couple weeks before they, they lead. Show me where you're gonna sing. What song's got the anointing on it? What are you going to minister? Where are you going to go? What's, what's in your heart for this? And I, make, I get my guitar. They'll either sit at the keyboard or I'll just play. And, and we just and we sing it through. Very seldom does it absolutely right. Very often I go, no, no, no. Way too many words. Way too, let's just, just put this around. Let just, let's move this now. Where are we going with this? Let's feel. And you can feel when it's right. Now here's what they learn. They when they when they, they, they're beginning to get the feel of it. And now increasingly there's just a few small changes that are needed, if at all. And I watch them, here's, here's what a good mentor does. I watch them become much better than me. I watch them sail on by. I I, I watch them with their gifting. Begin to now, I got the feel. I know what God is doing with worship. And they begin to fly on by you. People, you need to do that. There's people need you. You've got what God has taught you things. There's skills and, and issues in you that you're very good at. Aren't there? Aren't there? And this is how you pass it on. You don't just give a little lecture or a little talk somewhere. You need to, you need to be with them, watching them, correcting them, and encouraging them. That was great. That was horrible. Let's correct that. And over time, over time, I've found mentoring is years, not weeks, not months. Mentoring is years. And then as I say, they fly on by you. And it's beautiful. He mentored Saul. He made disciples for Jesus, not himself. I've said that. Pastors and teachers, if a a pastor is a man or woman who leads a flock... Pastoring focuses on leadership. They organize, they plan, they take responsibility for the care of others. A teacher is someone who teaches people how to be Jesus' disciples. They don't merely impart information, they explain spiritual principles so people can understand and live those truths. And they use more than words to do their teaching, they use their own lives. Like Barnabas, they model what they're saying so people don't just listen to them, they imitate them. Pastors lead the flock, teachers teach. Do you follow that? And it often goes into the same person. But, it's too, but whether it's two roles, two, two different, God will use you as a pastor. I'm suggesting we all are to be pastors and teachers in various ways. Do you follow that? I'm not saying, take a little gift test, and maybe it's for somebody. Saying, you and I all need to be pastoring and teaching the flock of God. Workers, when Jesus asks us to look at the harvest and to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, it's pastors and teachers he primarily means. Because that's where God's harvest always bogs down. Too many people willing to come. Too few people willing to care for them. Some people might say, but I'm not a shepherd. I'm a fisher. My job is to catch them, not clean them. Boy, I wouldn't want to come to your fish fry <laughs> But that's the kind of compart- But that kind of compartmentalization... Of disciple making isn't biblical. Jesus wants us to be both. Peter the fisherman illustrates this. Notice, the, notice Jesus in Ma- Matthew 4 says this to Peter. Now as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. Simon who was called Peter and Andrew his brother. And he said to them. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers. Amen. I'm going to make you a fisher. That's, that's an evangelist. I'm going to make you catch souls. John 21. After the resurrection. Jesus told this same fisherman, feed my lambs. Shepherd, meaning same word as pastor, my little sheep. Feed my little lambs. What are little lambs and little sheep? It certainly means children. New believers, my tender ones. Jesus is saying to this fisherman who's going to catch souls like crazy, he'll turn whole counties to Christ. Don't you leave them there. If you love me, you care for my little lambs. You care for my new believers. And he did too. Remember Lydda, Joppa? I mean, the whole place would come to Christ and he stayed. The only time he moved is when somebody got him and, and said, there's somebody dead over here. Would you come and raise him from the dead? And he moved to the next town and then he stayed there till Romans came and took him to Caesarea. He's, he's, he's doing what his Lord told him to do. Not only winning souls, he's pastoring souls. So how does Barnabas' example challenge me and you? What steps can I take to become a worker in the Lord's harvest? I can look for opportunities. Are there people who need to be led and fed? Or is there someone who needs my help? Oh, is there ever? Right now, one of our problems with Awana on Wednesday night, too many children, too few workers. Would you give us an hour and a half to teach the Bible to children? You know, the, 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 the little, those young minds, that when the, when the scripture goes into them, they'll remember it when there's, they're 90 years old. When they can't remember what day of the week it is, they can still recite 1 Corinthians 13. You know, would you give your time to that? Would you come and help? If we had more workers, we could have more children. Marriage mentoring. Marriages are falling apart. If you'll be a marriage mentor, and begin to share your marriage, and begin to care for some, some couple that's struggling you'll heal whole families. There'll be children and grandchildren that will be affected because you chose to invest in somebody. I can go on and on, do you follow this? I can look for opportunities. Are there people who need to be led and fed? Secondly, I can evaluate my, my situation. Some of you that are listening to me are already giving yourselves beyond your capacity to keep going. I, this is not for you. Just stop, because you're, you, you, you're those great hearts out there going, okay, pastor, I'll do more. And you're already at the, at the, at the frothy <laughs> knife edge of the thing. You're working hard. I love you. You're doing great. This is not, this is not for you. It's the person next to you I'm going after, all right? <laughs> some of you are giving, some are giving themselves, but you could do more. You are doing something, but you're still too comfortable. Some have disqualified themselves because they feel untaught or untrained. We can take care of that. Number three, I need to grow in my capacity to pastor and teach. Listen, look at the opportunities for training we've got here. Life Ministry Institute. This is a full-orbed Bible college. And we're coming with a whole new emphasis this, this fall of getting, uh, getting spiritual ministry. We're going to put you to work. We're going to get you involved in ministry as we originally practically promised we would do it. That, that with The classes you take are as good as any Bible college you're going to take. This is not Sunday school on steroids. This isn't Steve's little deal. This is, I'm serious. This is, it happens on our campus. It's here and you can go to school right here. Life life group leader. You want a pastor? You you know that this year alone, we have gone from 16 small groups to 44 in less than a year. And and they're growing. We We have over 300 people now. And, we're, and, we're, and it's, it's still just on that kind of incline. Hallelujah. That is pastoring. Like, be a life group leader. We could have more life groups. Ministry training class. What will we teach you there? How to lead somebody to Christ. How to get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. How to cast out a devil. How to, get them, how to pray for the sick and how to hear God. Does that seem applicable? Yeah. Stephen ministry. We'll teach you how to pastor. How to, how to care for people and listen. How to transform lives. That's serious training. OSL, not only take it, but be willing to be a coach. This last cycle, the one that's going on right now as we speak, we could only take 115. We just don't have enough coaches and everything else. We had over 200 that wanted to take it. We had, we had a, what, 180 apply last the time before. You see the need? This is fabulous what's going on, but we can either hand up with a program or a movement. But what will will stop it? Where's the bottleneck? What will hold it down? The coaches. Do we have enough people to care and coach our OSL people? Because we want to go on with OSL too, which is on the Holy Spirit. We got all kinds of things, but we need coaches. Will you coach? Not just take it. Will you sit at a table and make calls? and, And would you care for more people and coach them in OSL? This is life transforming, isn't it? Those of you that have had it, it's absolutely life-transforming. It is so powerful. We could have more if we have more coaches. Youth interns, we mentioned that. In that. We, we, we invited you to think about that just now. General missions training. Some of you feel like being a missionary? There's a very serious program here. Take general mission training. I would say yes, if you want to do it for a, for, a, for a full calling, you ought to take LMI. My wife and the, and the team will start taking you on missions, getting you uh, taught and trained, get a feel for missions. You'll know what you're doing. So what does Jesus see when he looks at America? He sees multitudes who are distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He sees a harvest that's plentiful, but the workers are few. Will you and I go into his harvest field? Would you stand with me? I'm not saying these things for effect today. Some of you are called to go to the mission field. You need to train yourself first. They don't need evangelists. They don't just need, they don't just need warm bodies. They, 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 they got, they, they're where it's growing. This is where the action is. But They need you with the kind of things that's been invested in you, the word of God that's been invested in you, all that's been taught you, the understanding of how to minister the baptism of the Spirit and pray for the sick. To come in and, and coach and teach. They need you. We need you here. I mean, there's people... There's the, 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 the America that's in front of us. The troubled, broken, disjointed people. That this society is becoming. As they rebel against God, it will get worse and worse and worse. As the, as the Christian uh, culture that has been here is broken down. What is the fruit of sin? Trouble. It's the way of the transgressor is hard. So people are just, just a mess. What does Jesus see when he says them? Sees them? Harvest is right, man. These people are so in need of me. So in need of me. And they are. But it will take many, many pastors and teachers. Many who will care for them. Many who will, who will coach and mentor and walk people through their healings. Will you be part of that? It's not a, this isn't a lighthearted thing. We're going to ask the Lord right now. Some of you are going to need to step up at another level. Out of your comfort zone. And start saying yes. His lives will change. I promise you. I promise you. Let's say that wonderful phrase once more. When the, when the human need meets the power of God. Through the people of God. Something good always happens. Father God, we ask you to just touch each of us. Every one of us is a different place. But every one of us is being asked to step forward. Would you guide us, O God? Would you guide us? Show us, Lord. I ask you to put a hunger. To put the eyes to see. Not, Not condemnation. Not some sort of discouragement or overwhelmed. But Lord, the excitement. The sense of calling. The sense of 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 your hand upon my life, that I can make a difference, I can touch lives. Come Holy Spirit and stir us, stir us. We're we're grateful for the fruitfulness, but we we don't pretend to think this is all we could do. And we ask you, Lord, to just take us deeper, every one of us, take us deeper, take us deeper in our calling with a heart like Barnabas. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. If, if you are willing, and this is a dangerous prayer. I mean, you really are saying, Lord, I mean it. Show me the next step and I'll take it. Would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.